Suffreaks, it's your boy Marty. Here to introduce this rip of Rabbit Hole Recap. Another great rip. You guys are going to love it. It was brought to you by our good friends down the hall. Unchained. ETS are now in the world. A lot of people are like, oh, I got to put it in my retirement account. You don't have to do that. If you want to get Bitcoin exposure in your retirement account, if you have an IRA and you want to get Bitcoin in that IRA, hit up the team at Unchained and transition your IRA into Bitcoin with Unchained's IRA product. They make it very easy. Instead of buying shares in an ETF, you can buy actual Bitcoin and hold the own keys within an IRA structure. Unchained makes it very easy. Go to unchained.com slash consultation. Set up a call with their team to get hooked up. They make it very easy. You can set up a vault and transition it within a week. Get direct Bitcoin exposure. And then on top of that, Maybe you don't want to hold it in IRA. You just want to hold Bitcoin directly. Unchained as their vault product, a two or three multi-sig. Set up a collaborative custody setup where you hold two keys. Unchained holds one. They have a trading desk where you can buy Bitcoin and send it straight to that cold storage. Multi-sig setup, that vault. They're doing things the right way. This is how you build banks without bankers. What Unchained is doing down the hall. So go to unchained.com slash consultation. Hit them up to learn about their IRA product, their trading desk, their vault, anything that they're offering. This trip was also brought to you by our good friends at CoinKite. We have an announcement. CoinKite is hiring a web designer, a senior web designer. So if you're looking to get into the space, you're looking to work for one of the best companies in the space, CoinKite is certainly that. I have one of their products right behind me here, the Block Clock. I have a tap signer in my wallet. They are, again, a company building the infrastructure for banks without bankers. So go hit them up at coinkite.com slash careers. Check out the description of that that job description and apply there if you're a senior web designer. They need you. And then on top of that, if you're just looking for the best hardware in the space, CoinKite builds the best hardware. They have the Mark IV, which is a hardware wallet that allows you to create private public key pairs offline. You can add entropy to it via dice rolls. Uh, it's got two secure enclaves. It's NFC enabled. They're doing it the right way to create a private public key in the most secure way with entropy. Use the Mark IV. The uh, the cold card queue is coming out too, which is same guts as the Mark IV with more added features, a full keyboard, a QR scanner, a light, a battery pack. You'll be able to do all the same things plus some more with that device. Pre-orders are available now. So go to coinkite.com. Check all this out and again, if you're a web designer looking to get into the space and work for one of the best companies in the space, CoinKite is hiring. Go to coinkite.com slash careers and enjoy this rip. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. The button has been hit. Big rip today. Before we get into it, Logan, you are dressed impeccably well. Tell the freaks what you're doing after this. Swing dancing. Swing dancing. Did you know Logan's a swing dancer? 
Logan, you're a swing dancer. Mm-hmm. Is this your? They like, made first me talk about thing? it on PBS over at Pleb Lab like a year ago. We have a funny. I have a funny Logan swing, swing dancing story. Cool. I like swing dancing. So Hill came into the Commons one Monday. And he pulled me aside. He's like, Marty, come over here. I got to tell you something. And I was all worried. I was like, what's going on, Sahil? He's like, dude, I was walking over the Lamar Street walking bridge over the weekend. And this flash mob came out, came out of nowhere. And it was Logan swing dancing with a bunch of people on the walking bridge here in Austin. Sahil, he, he was impressed, Logan, by your skills. We gotta- I mean, like, can you pick a better Bitcoiner to hit with a uh, flash mob he can do it all he can swing dance he can produce he's a dungeon of dragons master oh, no, I meant Sahil. like if you're going to surprise a big corner with a flash mob like Sahil's the one to do it Sahil's like the most uh, surprise surprisable excitable I scared the shit out of him in the comments he walked out of the elevator yesterday I was like ah he jumped shout out to you Sahil ah New uh, new background, new setup. Terrible mic. How's it feel? We're working on it, freaks. We're working on it. We spent the. We were supposed to go live twenty three minutes ago. Matt decided to to ninja launch a new setup. Decided to record from the ten thirty one office at the Bitcoin Park instead of taking literally fifty steps to the studio with a good live mic. Live from the ten thirty one office. This is rabbit hole recap. The bank runs continue. And the background filter is coming. God, it's coming in. I I took calls with you all fucking morning, and you said the mic fine. Yeah, for calls, not for a podcast where our audience is a bunch of audiophiles who care about the quality of the sound. I just want you freaks to know I fought for better mic in Nashville. We'll see. Uh, Next. Uh, Next week, I'll, I'll have a better setup. For the freak's sake, I hope so. Big week. I'm tired. I was up late last night. Have you been uh, following through on your New Year's resolution of waking up before the family? Uh, not today. I went to bed I've at like 2 a.m. I've been crushing it. I've been trying to. I'm on like this new like 5, 5.15 wake up. I wish. It's... Uh, Absolute game changer. I get so much shit done. Yeah. Uh, Casey Rogers. Oh, man. Odell definitely had the impossible burger. Before the show, he did eat a burger. I won't say whether or not it was an impossible burger. It was not an impossible burger. Like, get your memes correctly. I don't eat impossible burgers. It's fucking trash. Aren't they bankrupt now, too? Is that beyond me? I don't think they're... Really? I think Maybe. they're close to bankruptcy. It's definitely like fiat shit, you know, God like willing. Uh, cheap money kind of boistered those businesses, and now the cheap money is no longer there. Damn. Eh. Yeah, we just missed a pound drum. No, we didn't miss a pound drum block. I'm looking at my block clock trying to see. Thought we were three, three blocks ahead of a pound drum block, but I was wrong. There will, anyway, gonna, there will be a palindrome block in 51 blocks. I'm uh, 57. I'm taking your New Year's resolution. It's not my New Year's resolution. No, no, it's mine. I you mean, can we share. can share the New Year's resolution. I'm not like taking it from you. Um, 
But yeah, wake up before the rest of the family. Yeah. It's a good resolution. All right, we got a lot to talk about. Speaking of family, my mother is in town. She just landed a couple of hours ago. I need to go give Mama a hug at some point. So, is she a long list. I don't know, Mama, if you are. Can't wait to see Hi, you. Mom. I'm Marty's mom. <laughs> um, so we'll jump into Clark's dashboard. We got many big topics to talk about this week as well. The current price of Bitcoin is forty three thousand one hundred twenty cuck bucks. One cuck bucks gonna get you two thousand three hundred nineteen sats. Currently sitting at an eight hundred forty five point seven billion dollar market cap. That makes us thirty seven and a half percent below the previous all time high of sixty nine thousand ten dollars. We are at block height eight hundred twenty eight thousand four hundred thirty two. We're nowhere near a pound drum block. I couldn't do math earlier. It's much easier to see. <laughs> on on the dashboard and, and trying to look at the mirror of my block clock you literally could have turned around it's right i could have but I, mean, you know, I flashed my bald spot to the freaks get made fun of it's not it's not ideal you know we are currently 144 blocks one day if blocks come in at 10 minutes on average from the next difficulty retarget it'll probably happen in less than 24 hours because blocks been coming in in nine minutes and 25 seconds on average the estimated adjustment is 6.3% upwards, which is pretty big. This is following on the heels of the last retarget, which was around negative 4%. So it seems like hash rate has come on. As we discussed last week, we had that pretty sizable downward adjustment because of miners engaged in demand response programs throughout the country. They turned off to deliver electricity back to the grid when it got really cold in places like Tennessee and Texas. Clark's teeny weeny mempool has 17,376 transactions in it right now. If we go over to mempool.space mempool, they've got 233,714. So more than 10x. Do you see how crazy this is? That, like, what is, uh, it's a little bit small. What's the next block fee? Uh, 25 sats per view, right? It's 25 sats. It's 26, 26, excuse me. Okay, it's 26 to get into the next block, but also regular, you know, uh, default mempools are purging at 21 sats per byte. Um, It's like hyper-efficient market right now in terms of block space. We've never really seen anything like this before. Maybe it becomes more common. Um, I noticed the other day it it was literally like, 25 sats per byte to get into the next block and it was 24.7 was purged which is pretty crazy yeah yeah it has been tight and has been like in this 25 to 26 range for a few days now so i've been checking in just something to point out i wanted to point it out on roster but it was hard to frame it in all caps so i just waited till rhr thank you for waiting thank you for sharing Back to the dashboard, there are currently 10,594.89 Bitcoin in unspent capacity in Samurai's Whirlpool. That's 456.5 million cuck bucks worth of unspent value. That is the state of the network. Big week. Big day yesterday. Big 24 hours. I stayed up late last night writing a bent. Got it out around 12.30 Central, 12.30 AM. And then my adrenaline was pumping. It was the best... It was the best writing flow I've been in quite some time. It was exhilarating. When you get in a writing flow, the adrenaline's pumping, you're feeling good, you're engaged, you're focused. Last night was the best writing flow I've had in a while. It's because I was writing about 
something that came out of nowhere. Last week, we discussed the fact that the industry banded together to write a letter to FinCEN about the surveillance rules and requirements. They are looking to pass. The industry banded together, wrote some comments explaining why it was nonsensical. You'd think we get a little bit of a break between incidents in which we have to uh, tell the government how this stuff actually works, but the Department of Energy could not wait a week. Uh, they, via the Energy Information Administration, which is a sub-agency of the Department of Energy here in the United States, issued an emergency uh, survey <laughs> data collection focused solely at Bitcoin miners. Look, we need to X out of that Nash thing. Um, <laughs> and this is a pretty big deal uh, because if you go down, Logan, one more right here. The instructions, your response is required by law. Uh, so over the next, I think there's a six month period starting uh, the 31st yesterday. So we have until July 31st to respond to this. Uh, respondents to the form EIA 892 who are required to complete this form are all commercial cryptocurrency mining facilities in the United States. So that means if you have a mining operation, you're running it through an LLC, an S corp, if you're incorporated and that, that corporation is accepting revenue in the form or produces revenue via Bitcoin mining, you are required. Or if you're an individual, right? I don't think if you're an individual, I think you have to be like incorporated or something like that. Um, maybe I could be wrong, but required to fill out the survey survey. The justification for the survey is, the Department of Justice under the Biden like administration. You stop calling it a survey. It is a survey. But like, are surveys mandatory? This one seems to be. And there know, again, this. Like, you're already like committing the narrative violation, and then it just came out. It's like the why registry. Why? You yeah. Have to, exactly. You have to fill out the registry form. There we go. Okay, continue. Sorry. Um, so the Biden administration, Department of Energy, they seem to be leveraging emergency facilities to push this through and make it mandatory for everybody. Typically I was talking to Will Cole out there and, um, re Browning, um, from Cathedra. He used to be with the EPA. And so they're using this OMB emergency sort of power that they have to force this on the market. Logan, let's start scrolling yet. We're going to walk through everything one by one. Okay. Um, to push this through and it seems like a massive attack. Again, it looks like the government is, trying to create a registry of all the Bitcoin miners in the industry. And we'll get into the data that they're looking to collect and how Orwellian it is. Um, but again, the justification for the survey is they deem Bitcoin mining as a systemic risk to the energy security of the country. And they're looking to collect this data under the guise of, hey, we just need to make sure you're not creating systemic problems within our energy systems. But again, if you look into it, it seems pretty clear that they're looking to granularly identify mining operations across the country and put them in a registry. And so the data that they're collecting is uh, off the bat, company name, address, the location of your different facilities. Uh, and then they want you to provide a survey contact. So a point of contact for the EIA and the Department of Energy to go through this data. Logan, if you scroll down beyond that, they want to know um, whether you're doing a proof of stake mining operation, validating operation or proof of work, 
If you do proof of stake, you only have to fill out the first two pages. If you do proof of work, you got to keep going down and they want to know exactly how many mining operations you have. And then beyond that, they want to know the locations of these mining stop here, the locations of these facilities, no, no, down uh, of these facilities. They want to name the address, the city, the state, zip code, and they want geographic coordinates as well. So they want the latitude and longitude of the exact location of your mining operation. They want to be able to identify it via GPS. Beyond that, they want to know your electricity consumption, like how much electricity uh, as measured in megawatt hours is your mining operation consuming. And if you go down, this is where also it gets pretty crazy. They want you um, to basically go to your energy provider and have them disclose the overall percentage that your operations are consuming uh, of their total electricity production. So they want you to dox your electricity service providers and then have them disclose their private business information of the overall electricity consumption that your operation takes up in their whole business, which caters to other people. Um, and the energy supplier section here, this is where you dox your energy supplier and the percentage of the electricity that your mining operation is taking up of their whole electricity production. And then this is where it gets really like tinfoil hatty and where it seems like they're creating a registry. They literally want you to tell them how many ASICs you have, when you bought them, how much hash rate they produce. And so they're trying to essentially get down to the granular level of itemizing your hash, your ASIC fleet, the models that you're using and the hash rate they produce. And again, this is an emergency order. We have six months to respond as an industry. And if not, if you don't respond Within six months, uh, each day after the deadline passes, you will be fined $10,000 and subject to civil and criminal lawsuits from the federal government, um, which is pretty egregious. This is a very discriminatory action by the Department of Energy and the Biden administration using the EIA as sort of a facade front man to, to do all of this. Bitcoin miners do nothing wrong. They pay for the electricity. Um that they, they use to mine Bitcoin. They're engaging in consentful economic uh, activity with counterparties in the form of electricity providers. And again, that's what I wrote in the newsletter. Like this data is already out there. Like the effect that Bitcoin mining has, whether it's off grid with methane emissions reductions or on grid with how these companies are interacting with the grid and how they're participating in demand response programs like this data is has been publicly disclosed by miners who are looking to use that data to say hey we're doing something good here um and so this is very scary in my mind the biden administration is saying that miners uh singled out miners as the reason why we have energy instability here in the united states and it seems like a pretty massive attack surface and if you were presumptive enough to say this is the first step toward creating a registry and then confiscating hash rate in the United States. This is exactly what Venezuela did before they confiscated the ASICs of Venezuelan citizens and decided to mine for themselves. They're the only other country that's asked for this type of granular information 
on a mining industry throughout the world is Venezuela. So congratulate congratulations, Department of Energy, Biden administration, you are now in the same enchilon as uh, as Nicolas Maduro. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. That was a long rant. I have a lot more to say, but this is pretty uh, pretty jarring. Well, this definitely seems like the first step to confiscation or coercion. Um, I don't think anyone should be surprised. Uh, this is unconstitutional, I believe. I'm not a constitutional lawyer. Uh, and there's got to be a legal fight. But ultimately, this affects Bitcoin miners in America. Uh, it doesn't affect Bitcoin. Bitcoin is global, multi-jurisdictional. Um, and this is exactly why you don't want a large amount of hash rate in a single country, which I think we've spoken about at length. Um, I will say what the overwhelming majority of hash in America is public miners. And uh, they already send them all this information. What was that last part? The overwhelming majority of hash in America is public miners. And they already send them all this information for the most part. I don't think they get this granular. They don't have to send like ASIC fleets and all that. But don't they, they like release all this like to some, the public? Some do. Um, it's like PRs too. They'll definitely announce buys, but not all of them announce when they actually plug them in. Um, you can try to deduce that from the overall hash rate that they disclose. Um, and as MVK says, in the comments, which is, I think, the bigger point that I want to make, uh, the first answer to any government survey is always fuck you. Um, so I think, again, coming on the heels of the letters that were written to FinCEN yesterday, which we discussed, or excuse me, last week, which we discussed last week, and I thought it was really inspiring that the industry banded together to basically take a stand and say, hey, this is pretty egregious. This is an overreach by the government. I think that that needs to happen here in the Bitcoin mining industry. People need to develop um, the confidence to band together and say, no, we're not filling out this registry. We're not giving you this information. Why are you signal signaling us out? Um, it, this is completely unconstitutional. An invasion, invasion of uh, the Fourth Amendment rights that we have as individuals. So probably get pushed to the 10th amendment too, um, as states stand up and defend miners and their borders. And yes, you mentioned the public miners disclose a lot of this information publicly, not all of it, but some of it, but there's plenty of private miners out there that like remaining private and would like to, to not disclose this information to the government. It seems like an attack. I mean, it's clearly a fucking attack. I, I didn't say otherwise. Um, and it's not a survey because <laughs> it's fucking mandatory and they're going to find people if you don't fill it out. And it's clearly the first step towards confiscation and coercion. But it's the least surprising thing ever. And public miners are already disclosing a shit ton of fucking information to the government. All of these things are not mutually exclusive. I don't think they disclose it to the government. I think they just disclose it to shareholders to try to pump their stock. I think this takes it at a different level. The government has access to a shit ton of information from public miners. Yes, and they want more. 
and I know plenty of private miners that have hundreds of megawatts or I would actually, I think the blend of hash rate, the ratio of public to private hash rate, it's probably like 60, 40 for being honest. Um, there's a ton of sizable private miners out there. Do you think any private miners are participating in demand response? Yeah, I know. I know for a fact they are. Do you have confidence that we can band together as an industry? No, I really don't. (laughs) (sighs) I think, I, I think, I mean, at least the public Bitcoin miners in America since since the day they got listed was you know it's part of they have no you know they, they have a gun to their head by yeah. design and the, the key is that they just don't have enough hash to matter yeah yeah i don't again i don't think so i think the private miners have a material amount of hash no and i do think public miners have a high incentive to stand up against this. Cause like you said, it's very obviously the first step towards, if not an outright confiscation, um, some tor- sort of restrictions, on how much electricity individual miners can consume. And so you, you may actually have a fiduciary duty as somebody trying to steward shareholder capital in the public markets to fight back against this. Cause it could seriously prevent, imagine if the government came in and confiscated all your miners as a publicly traded company. And that that value doesn't accrue to shareholders anymore. <laughs> it, it accrues to the government. Like that is a massive risk and would be a dereliction of fiduciary duty to shareholders to ensure that they're getting value out of the companies that they're investing in the public stock, public stock market. Like there's a very good case to be put forth that these public mining companies should stand up. And just say fuck you we're not doing this this is egregious again it's discriminatory i think that's a good argument i would definitely love to see that if you're listening i know a lot of you are in the mining space and, and i know a lot of you are associated with public mining companies with mining pools with private mining companies it's time to sack up give the government the middle finger and say, no, you're not crossing this line. We have no good reason to signal, signal, sing, single, there we go, us out and force us to disclose this information. What about other data centers? What about AI compute? What about smelting factories? Whatever it may be. I think there's no reason that we need to be singled out. And the uh, the letter, the emergency letter, specifically cited that it's becoming a threat because the price of Bitcoin has risen by 50%, rose by 50% in the last three months of 2023. Should drive demand up for mining. Okay, he ate a burger today. Didn't want to get his good mic. No, he doesn't want to talk about this. I mean, I think you covered it, Marty. This <laughs> is like, what is there? What is there to talk? About? This is the least surprising news ever. Yeah, we need people to stand up. 
We need to like, like Bitcoin is state resistant, and like a fucking survey is what's going to take it down. It's a registry, and again, <laughs> I agree, it's not going to take Bitcoin down. Could take down individuals. Put a lot of blood, sweat, tears, capital, time into building out profitable companies to do good things. That's the other thing. Like the government, you're worried about the energy stability of this country. Uh, hey, how about you don't shut down LNG export infrastructure construction, which they did last week. Biden put a nix on that. How about you don't stop the Keystone pipeline midway through construction to, to, to make oil and gas resources more accessible and cheaper? How about you don't put up all this red tape to build a nuclear power facility? How about you don't force subsidies on the market that completely corrupt the incentives of building reliable infrastructure and favor unreliable infrastructure in the form of wind and solar. How about you don't blow up the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, forcing us to export a lot of our LNG resources to Europe so that they can keep their, their heat on in the winter because you blew up the pipeline that provided them with natural gas. How about you don't go towards this idiotic net zero policy based on climate hysteria that is not seeped in fact. We don't live in a free country. I'm not even going to ask the rhetorical question. Like We don't live in a free country. Unless people stand up. And I think Bitcoin as an industry, it's interesting too, experience a great American mining. Like the oil and gas, the energy industry, the oil and gas industry specifically has gone through these battles through the years. And that's one thing I noticed. I love the people I've met in the oil and gas industry incredibly important to what we do here as an economy but they from my observation sort of rolled over and let all the shit happen to them and i think we should learn the lessons of the oil and gas industry which has sort of bent the knee to the state over the last few decades and just not let it happen nip it in the butt lead by example as an industry that cares about freedom privacy the right to free markets and set an example and engenders confidence in others so if you're in the mining industry out there I highly urge you to fight back against this. What we got next on the list? Are you muted? You have the list in front of you. I don't. I don't. No, I'm kidding. Boom. Yahoo Finance, 1031 on Yahoo Finance. Speaking of Bitcoin mining, Grid is the first public listing for Bitcoin-focused venture fund, 1031. Um, pure bet, pure Bitcoin-focused venture fund. They went public uh, a few weeks ago, but are finally on the U.S. markets starting Monday of this week. They're on the NASDAQ. Yes. Congrats to the Grid team. Love those boys. One of them is in the office with you right now. Is he joining I, us later? I think he's going to join us. Yeah, I think he's going to stop in. I think Harry's going to stop in. Yeah. Um, we also announced uh, that we are providing a no strings attached grant to Cali of the Cashew Project and his work on Charmian eCashments um, through 1031 directly. 1031, part of our, our mission and our mandate 
is to support open source contributors uh, through our management fees. Um, part of that was 1031 provided a early grant to OpenSats when OpenSats was very young and we were in great need of operations money. Um, and this one is is more direct, uh, directly to a open source contributor. We've done a couple others that were directly to open source contributors as well. Um, and I would just like to see, you know, a, a lot of the work we do is is trying to lead by example, uh, whether that's Marty at uh, TFTC, our work at 1031, OpenSats, Bitcoin Park. And I would just like to see more profitable businesses in the space contribute to open source contributors. Uh, we rely on their protocols. We rely on the protocols they maintain. We rely on the projects they build. Uh, our businesses would not be possible without them. Um, and it's prudent to support them. And in the past, there's been a lot of friction to doing that. You have to do research and due diligence and all this other, <coughs> all this other work in order to properly deploy that money and give it as grants to individuals. But we built OpenSats to reduce that friction for people. So if you're running a profitable Bitcoin business, you can just simply go to OpenSats.org, and our nine-person board will allocate those funds 100% pass through, not take a single cut. And uh, if you look around. Uh, I think I would like to see more companies contributing, uh, especially these large, incredibly profitable businesses uh, that are failing to contribute. So um, if you're a user out there, uh, consider supporting businesses that are contributing back. Vote with your money. And if you're operating a business and it's profitable, I'm not, if, it's un if you're not profitable yet, by all means, build your business. But if you're profitable, consider supporting the open source contributors that make this possible. And shout out to Cali. It's well-deserved. Great individual. Yeah, really excited to see. I mean, what he's doing with Casio and just pushing Chami and Mints forward is really exciting. I forget who I was talking to about it, but there's some really unique ideas. I think it might have been you um, about how you can scale the, the mint model that, that I'm going to say Kaye and uh, Cashew are running with sort of have an interactive network of these types of mints. You can have many different mints and you can do swaps between them. Yeah. But uh, not just, not just lightning gateways. You can do actually native Charmini cash swaps. Um, and then essentially there's a market in terms of, uh, value between the different Charmin eCash mints. Hal Finney's view of uh, a free banking system developing on top of Bitcoin coming to life right in front of us. Yeah, we're excited. Shout out to Grid. Shout out to Kaye. We're going to keep pushing it forward. One key send in Noster. Is it there yet? Noster uses LN addresses. We don't use Keysend. In, in podcasting 2.0, we use Keysend. Yeah. Uh, on Noster, we use Lightning Address. The reason we use Lightning Addresses on Noster is because people like the social signal element of Odell, Zapped, Pablo, 25 sats. Um, and Keysend doesn't support that. 
you, you need a interactive protocol to do that. So yeah, that's what I was bringing that up. Imagine how much money you can raise for like open sets or other open source grant issuers. If you could do something like a key send with zaps on Nostra. I mean, first of all, uh, I believe RHR puts a portion of their splits via key send to open sats. Yeah, we do. That. I'm not saying yeah. you personally, I'm saying more broadly. Imagine I could and see that becoming a trend. I know it doesn't make it. And you can zap and you can zap us on our open sats Nostra account right now with lightning address. We support both lightning addresses and key send. Um, so I don't really see how that changes anything, but I'm not talking about open sats. I'm talking about it'd be cool on my Nostra profile. You're going to come join us. I could have a split. We have Grant joining us from 1031. Oh. Grant, can you hear us? What's up? Look at that. Just talking about uh, Grant. Funny you walked in right now. We're talking about grants um, in the uh, in the form of open sats and issuing them to open source developers. We're talking about um, our grant. To, are we saying cop? Kali or Kaye? I like Kaye. <laughs> Doesn't does matter. He's not Spanish, is he? So it's probably not Kaye. I mean, but that's that's a Spanish word. It means street. That's true. Street. Yeah. Um. Anyway, it's really cool to see the grants. I mean, we uh, we were. We were a founding contributor to OpenSats, and we're very proud of that. That was back in 2021. And one of the things that we thought at the outset of 1031 was how can we, you know, how can we get back to the contributors that are, um, you know, building in the open and don't really have any sort of uh, compensation for doing that. I mean, there wasn't a good model for doing it. We talked to some different groups, but OpenSats, it was like the very early days of that. And we had just launched 1031. Um, and we thought that it was a really interesting model, which now OpenSats has this, you know, long-term support program, which is incredible. But as a business that had um, incoming revenue on the 1031 side, we thought if you can create this recurring model where you give back to the ecosystem, that that was a really, um, really compelling thing to do. Yeah. Something that we're very proud of 1031 and more companies need to do it. Hopefully we set the example that, uh, forces people to FOMO into this model. Moving on to the next topic. Before which, we move on, that press release was pretty packed. Uh, we celebrated grid going public. Shout out to the grid guys. We celebrated giving Cali a no strings attached grant uh, paid in Bitcoin and we launched two new funds and Harry is joining us as an advisor, Harry of grid. Um, who's also one of my partners here at Bitcoin park. So just very excited about all of those, all of those news items. 2024, it's going to be a pretty big year for all of us. Mine are stand up. They're not only coming for you here in the United States, they're also scheming some things over in Europe. The European Bitcoin Energy Association, or excuse me, uh, yeah, launched to inform policymakers about Bitcoin mining. Uh, the 
ESMA, I forget what it stands for, it's a regulator, over in the European Union has put together some guidelines that are set to be written into law uh, later this year, I believe June of this year, maybe earlier. And if they are written into law, uh, similar to what's happening here in the United States, not exactly the same, probably a bit more aggressive, it seems that proof of work mining within the European Union will be banned. And beyond that, uh, I think the way this is worded, it would actually ban any type of Bitcoin business using the justification that it is somehow tied to proof of work mining, which the European Union believes is detrimental to the environment um, and their net zero 2030 goals. Um, so there are a couple of freedom fighters, um, Ludia uh, and Bota, who are putting together a, a coalition to better educate the European Commission about how Bitcoin mining actually works. Um, and I believe her name is pronounced Ludmilla, but it's really, Ludmilla. it's a hard one. Yeah. Um, She's awesome. I've done a bunch of work with her through HRF. Yes. She was on the Stefan Levera podcast a couple weeks ago with Bota. I wrote about it in the Bent earlier this week, um, but Ludmilla and Bota are really trying to court anybody within the Bitcoin industry who thinks they can help in their efforts to better educate the European Commission about how Bitcoin mining works, how it's helping energy systems, and most importantly, how Bitcoin, the network, is empowering freedom fighters around the world to escape despotic governments and fight back. Anything to add here, Matt? You know, uh, governments that uh, governments that attack Bitcoin mining are just hurting their own country. They're hurting their own citizens. Well, that's the thing. Uh, Is it only Bitcoin mining? Would this extend due to the connection that any Bitcoin software, I guess the way the guidelines are worded, they can extend to Bitcoin products because they're somehow connected to the proof of work consensus mechanism at the end of the day? Okay, well, I mean, the same thing applies, right? Like if, if you can't ban Bitcoin, you can just ban yourself from Bitcoin and your citizens from Bitcoin. And uh, the countries that do that will feel significant pain in terms of, of lack of growth and lack of revenue uh, until they bend the knee and switch their decision. And uh, Bitcoin companies and Bitcoin miners will move to jurisdictions that are not outwardly hostile to them. It's a quite simple thesis, and there's no way that it was, this, you know, these pain points were going to happen regardless because regulators and politicians are incredibly short sighted routinely. Uh, and you can just follow the incentives. They have very little incentive to think long term, uh, they think in election cycles. Yeah, apparently, this these guidelines get passed into law. Nothing will be able to be changed for at least two years. I think that's the election cycle that they're on over in the EU. So they have some sort of legislator or election cycle every two years. So if this is passed, it won't be able to be broached until 2026. So beware. Your energy is terrible today, sir. I hate this you're, setup. 
You skipped. It has nothing to do with the setup. You skipped one news item. Uh, Open Sats is proud to announce a long-term support uh, grant for Renee Picard, um, long-term contributor to Lightning. I believe we are now supporting eleven developers through our uh, long-term support program, which guarantees them a fixed salary for multiple years. So they're able to focus on their open source work rather than trying to put a roof over their family's heads. Um, absolutely massive. You know, we heard from a lot of open source contributors that this was needed, particularly those that were considering leaving their slave tech jobs at Google and Facebook and Twitter. Um, so I think this offers a very competitive, competitive offering for people who want to work on freedom tech. And we look forward to expanding it. You know, uh, the future's bright. It's been maybe nine months since we brought Gigi on full time and we've been operating as like a proper organization. And right now we have 90 grants out and 11 long-term support grants. So, Does Gigi, Gigi have any job postings that, that need reading these days? Did you guys find a CFL? What was it, a CFL? We're working on it. Still working on it. Well, we have people underneath him that we have a small team, a very lean, small team. Our operational budget is, is very tiny um, because we're not a typical charity like a UNICEF or something that takes 40% of all donations. We take no percent of donations. 100% gets passed through to open source contributors. And as a result, we have to raise our operations bud budget separately uh, to, to fund our operations. So we, we have a natural incentive to keep it as lean as possible. Um, in a lot of cases, people that are, that are working part-time and paid jobs underneath GG are getting paid significantly less than the open source grantees that are receiving grants. And once again, I would implore profitable Bitcoin businesses to consider donating, uh, whether that's to our operations fund or our general fund. Um, I know the ETFs are bringing in, are going to bring in a boatload of money having some commitments over there besides Bitwise, uh, I think would go a long way. Um, and it has been a lot of frustrating conversations behind the scenes. Uh, kind of, Frustra uh, frustrating kind of, in a way. the vibes, the vibes over here for me are, uh, like that 4chan meme. If only you knew how bad it was. How bad um, is it? Tell us. I think, I think some of these people are just straight up enemies of Bitcoin, but, uh, I will just hold my tongue for now. You don't have to name uh, any names. You don't have to name any names. You can be a little vague. I, you know, How do you say this? That's it. That's that's what I'm saying. I'm going to hold my tongue right now, hope for the best, and uh, see you guys next week on RHR. I've heard, uh, I've heard this as well from a buddy in the uh, advertising space, managing stuff for a bunch of the publications, interfacing with the marketing teams of these ETFs. They have no idea what they're interacting with. Just see it as a as a way to get fees. I mean, but there are some of them that have operated in the Bitcoin space for a decent amount of time. Um, I just think it's short sighted. I think it's really short sighted because, like, if you're gonna you're gonna hold billions of dollars of Bitcoin, you should secure it properly. And you should consider funding uh, the people maintaining the protocol that uh, your product relies on. 
Uh, but we'll see. I, I, the future is bright for open sets regardless. Uh, shout out to all the plebs who continue to donate. We get tons of tiny donations. Like I said, you can both zap open sets through our lightning address or send via Keysend. That goes to our own node. Um, everything is held self-custody. Trusted third parties are security holes. And uh, we're going to just keep pushing forward. But I, this is, you know, to me, it's it's personal. You don't want to get a Matt Odell's bad side. I, I can I can tell you from first firsthand experience, okay? So anybody out there in the ETF world with that, Logan pulled this chart just to get a landscape of the assets in the ETF. Grayscale bleeding, but bleeding less so than they were out of the gate currently with twenty one point two billion in AUM in their ETF. BlackRock right be not right behind them, but behind them at two billion. 769 million uh, fidelity right behind BlackRock at 2.3, and then it falls off. Uh, Arc at six, 661 million bitwise behind them at 634, and then another drop off. So it seems like we have uh, a top five at three different tiers, grayscale at the top tier, BlackRock and fidelity in the second tier, hovering around two and a half billion dollars each, and then Arc and bitwise. Coming in at three and four, or excuse me, four and five, hovering on average between six hundred fifty million. So that's considerable capital. Um, uh, taking grayscale out because they already had the Bitcoin in GBTC that was converted. That's five, seven, eight billion dollars has come in via the ETFs outside of grayscale over the last three weeks. Price has not moved that much, though. Yeah, everyone's trying to just escape from Barry, (laughs) as they should. He's held them hostage for a long fucking time. Yeah. And he's charging the highest fees in the market. I mean, one of the things to realize about these ETFs is they're just straight-up lobster traps the way they're designed. Um, because of the cash creates, because you have to sell your Bitcoin for dollars to get out of them um, or sell your Bitcoin for dollars to get into them. If you have Bitcoin that you're trying to get into the ETF, it means you have a capital gains event. So fees shouldn't actually compress over time with them. They should actually increase because if Bitcoin 100x is from here, then you're going to have a bunch of people, you're going to have billions of dollars that is, that's got a heavy cap gains on it. And at that point, you can raise fees on them because they're going to have to pay the U.S. government cap gains in order to get out. Um, And that's why, you know, a commitment like Bitwise made where they said they're going to give 10 percent of their profit over the next 10 years is actually a much bigger commitment than just thinking, oh, the fees are so close to zero right now. Like it's not that much money because in eight years, fees could be substantially higher and the assets under management could be substantially higher. And that's why when an ETF says to me that their excuse is we have zero fees, we have no money to give to open source contributors, my response is relatively simple. Well, then make a 10-year commitment saying you'll give 10% of profit. And if you don't have 10% of profit, then you don't give us anything. So, you know, it just doesn't add up sometimes. Fiaticians, man. They're everywhere. 
So people, if people take a position in an ETF, it moons, then they're going to be locked in because they're going to be sitting on cap gains that they would have to pay if they uh, try to get out of it. It's interesting. I was just thinking on the flip side, if someone invests in the in one of the ETFs and it dumps, like normally, if you're just holding the underlying with Bitcoin, you can tax loss harvest because it's just a commodity, whereas you can't do that with security because there's the wash trading rules. But if someone invests in the ETF at the top and then it dumps, you could you could sell out of it and then just buy a different one, get the same exposure. That's true. That's interesting nuance I wasn't aware of on the downside. I, I only just thought of it, but that's not it's definitely not a reason to buy the ETF. No, it's a reason not to buy it. Um, and I guess that's a question. A lot of people are speculating too. Like, like you said, it's a lobster trap. Many people believe that if you buy the ETF, you're going to be holding it for a decade plus. Who knows what happens with uh, the dollar over that time period? Do we get crazy inflation? Do we get hyperinflation? God forbid. Do you ever see these transitioning to in-kind redemptions just due to people being like, hey, I don't want to sell this for a hyperinflating dollar. I think now that they didn't, we probably will just not see it happen because it's not in BlackRock's in- interest or Fidelity's interest or ARK's interest for that to change. Um, but maybe. I mean, if the government gives, if the government gives people the, it gives ETF operators uh, the ability to do that, uh, I mean, my understanding is is the SEC was essentially like you have to do cash creates in order to get approved. Um, if they give ETF operators the ability, then maybe some will do it as a competitive advantage. You'll see like a challenger do it or whatnot. Um, but the way this thing is probably going to play out and we've seen it play out is like the top four are going to take the lion's share. The top two are going to take, you know, the, the, the overwhelming majority because volume begets volume um, unless they do something to absolutely fuck it up, like fuck up their lead. So challengers are going to have a hard time, I think. Yeah. I could also see a scenario again, going down the hyper inflation, maybe not even hyper, but high inflation for an extended period of time. It'd be in the ETF issuers, best issuance, to not only offer in-kind redemptions, but then figure out a way to, uh, accrue their fund fees in Bitcoin. It's like a, take a, a chunk of the underlying Bitcoin as a fee and accumulate that on their balance sheets. If the dollar isn't doing too well at some point in the future. I mean, that's how the fee structure currently works. They just do everything in dollars. Yeah. Like you don't like, you don't get like a bill from BlackRock at the end of the year. They just take Bitcoin fee. sell. BlackRock it. just takes it out of the, the assets under management. Yeah. Um, and like nothing stopping BlackRock from taking that, obviously converting it to dollars at the time of, of accounting and whatnot, and then switching it back into Bitcoin. Like any company can switch their fiat profits into Bitcoin holdings at will whenever they want. Um, and I mean, look, our thesis long-term has always been every company, every individual, every government, like long-term goal is to accumulate as much Bitcoin as possible. Just most people just don't understand that's the plan yet. Like that, eventually that that's going to be people's primary goal. You work hard and you save your money and you save your wealth in Bitcoin, you save your time in Bitcoin and you're just trying to accumulate as much Bitcoin as possible. 
but there's very few of us that realize that yet. And that's why there's such a asymmetric upside opportunity in, in accumulating Bitcoin today versus in 10 years. Yeah. A lot I see play up. Go ahead, Grant. I was going to say, I see some people in the chat talking about 401ks and IRAs. I mean, that's, it's an interesting dynamic for if, if you have a fiat job and you've got a fiat 401k, you know, traditionally, if you've got a 401k, then it might be that your employer is offering you a pre-selected set of options that you can invest into. And it's like usually ETFs or some sort of indexing. But if that's a way for Bitcoiners to advocate to their employers to um, get access to the Bitcoin ETFs. I mean, because the alternative option is if you have a 401k and you want to have some Bitcoin exposure, then you just have to withdraw it. You pay not only income tax, but a, um, a penalty on withdrawing for retirement age. But if you can advocate to get access to the one of the Bitcoin ETFs, that could actually be an interesting alternative for people who've got capital locked in one of those fiat um, programs. It's pretty much the the only time where it might make sense to have an ETF over self-custody. If you can't specifically use your retirement account to buy self-custody Bitcoin, some retirement accounts you can, and you can do self-custody Bitcoin through something like Unchained and still get the tax advantages. But if you're in a situation where it's like a company controlled one or something like that, and you can't, then maybe one of these ETFs is a good option for you. Just forego your 401k and just stack sats. That's probably. The I think best. all these things. I think all these things in a hyperinflation environment start to get 6102'd in different ways. Um, you know, whether that's tax tax advantaged accounts, uh, not even related to Bitcoin, just tax advantaged accounts, um, or Bitcoin ETFs. Um, I mean, you have to realize that even if nothing changes in a hyperinflation environment. Uh, hyperinflation plus our existing capital gains requirements uh, are incredibly predatory uh, because it, it means like everything is a gain because the thing you're denominating it is losing value over time. So nothing if nothing changes, it's still, you know, a 20 percent 6102 on everything. Uh, so just something to keep in mind. Yeah. And. We titled this episode "The Banks Bank Runs." Uh, what is it called? The bank runs are continuing. Your bank's running. You better go catch it. The bank runs continue. First time we've ever named an episode that, but it's pertinent <laughs> because there are some bank runs happening right now. I'm not sure if you guys caught it, but last week, uh, New York uh, was a community bank. Yeah, NYCB. NYCB. They announced uh, their Q4 earnings and uh, their expectations were the market was expecting a $260 million net income. Uh, they actually produced a $260 million net loss stemming from the commercial real estate exposure that they absorbed when they were forced to essentially uh, absorb Signature Bank last year. Those of you who forget, the FDIC took Signature Bank behind the uh, the woodshed and shot them in the head on a Sunday night in March of last year. Um, NYCB was the bank that absorbed them, came with a bunch of commercial real estate exposure. It seems like 
NYCB has been forced to mark some of that exposure to market, which has significantly hindered their balance sheet um, and put the bank in a precarious situation. They were down 40% on uh, in the markets on Monday. I think they're down even more today. Um, but beyond that, the regional banking crisis seems to be uh, back on the forefront of everybody's mind. The KBW Regional Banking Index uh, fell by almost 5% yesterday, which is the most since May. This is a chart of NYCB's um, stock price on Monday. This is coming on the heels of the Federal Reserve announcing that they are withdrawing the BTFP funding um, come March when it's set to renew. We discussed this last week, but for those of you who weren't here, uh, the BTFP essentially create this massive arbitrage play where the banks could take uh, their bonds, give it to lend it to the fed at par value at an extremely low interest rate. They were taking the par value of that bond in dollars and then dumping it into another part of the feds balance sheet that produced a higher yield. So that created a big hole in the feds balance sheet. So they're ending BTFP Jerome Powell came out yesterday uh, with a pretty hawkish stance as well. doesn't seem like they're going to budge on interest rates anytime soon um so in terms of hyperinflation materializing how that may happen it seems like the the regional banking crisis is back and that should probably accelerate never left, never left. just band-aided over for that's why this is the seventh episode of bank runs continue <laughs> Matt and i were discussing it before like it's a good running joke but like if we ever talk about something on a show somebody wants to search it they're going to search bank runs continue and they're going to have like seven episodes that's true you can also see like what week you want to look up since it's every week and we cover the news of the week yeah anything to add on this banking crisis you think it's it seems like a bit of a black swan um people seem that we're in this hold bitcoin hold bitcoin obviously yourself in self-custody but there's like an interesting juxtaposition happening in markets right now where you have the fiat ticians who are like, we're in a melt-up phase. We got the soft landing. Job market's great. GDP's great. Inflation's coming down, which is completely disconnected from the reality of what's happening in the real economy. I think, um, let me find this tweet for you, Logan, but the amount of layoffs yeah, I mean, that happened... We have Josh in the comments saying they won't let BTFP expire. I tend to agree. I'd be really surprised if they actually end No, they it. have to. That arbitrage trade is part of the reason why the Fed has that almost trillion-dollar loss on its balance sheet. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. I mean, the banks are, like, almost all insolvent right now. Well, they always have been, but now even st- worse. Structurally insolvent, yes. Yeah. Just buy Bitcoin while you can. Hold it in self-custody. Stay humble, stack sats. Yellow. I Don't not, comply with government registries. Don't comply with the registries. Yellow, I'm not Mongolian or Korean. I'm uh, Irish and British. Um, <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. Since since you responded to it, that's awfully suspicious. I feel like, I feel like <laughs> you might be. What am I, a Mongolian plant? 
I, I liked his comment. He said, is that DJ Qualls next to Matt? And I looked it up. <laughs> I almost laughed my ass off. Yellow, uh, Yellow's the other guy. He's here almost every live chat. But Yellow, you're never in the Nostra live chat. Go to rhr.tv slash stream. That's where the real fun is. Hey, we're having fun all over the place. Have fun wherever you find the chat. This is pretty encouraging to see. Uh, Senator Ron Wyden is calling for U.S. intelligence to purge all personal data about Americans acquired via illegal data sales. We've talked about this in the past. The government has used a loophole to acquire personal information on individuals, what they're doing um, on different apps and different services by by purchasing it from third-party data collectors. Yeah, they get around our constitutional protections by just buying it from surveillance companies instead of doing the surveillance themselves. Uh, so they they tread on our on our constitutional rights and they use our money to pay for it. And Senator Wyden specifically has been very outspoken about this. Uh, Historically. I don't think anything I don't think anything really happens. Uh in a positive note, like this is a, you know, spying and controlling Americans is a bipartisan issue in this, in this country. Uh, it usually crosses party lines. Um, so, I mean, I don't think politicians are going to save us. I think we have to opt out and, and use tools, work with our neighbors and, and, you know, do actionable change things that we can actually control. And you have to imagine the companies are going to fight this hand, tooth, and nail because essentially they just go to governments which have unlimited black budgets and can pay as much money as they want for this data. They're probably their best customers paying top dollar for this. However, the case that Senator Whiting is putting forth is that according to the FTC, it is not enough for a consumer to consent to an app or website collecting such data. The consumer must be told and agree to their data being sold to the government contractors for national security purposes. So maybe that will be the change that comes is the apps have to let you know that they're selling your data to the government. There's going to be a long ass terms and conditions. You press agree. Otherwise you can't use the app. That's a product idea. Like a I mean, it's in all the products already. Like No, no, no. I mean like a plug-in that scans like if you had like a, a checklist of things that you wanted to make sure weren't in a terms of service or find it out if they are. Matter. It doesn't matter because people are addicted to these things and they're going to press agree if they want to use the service and they're not going to read it anyway. Like, I mean, almost 3 billion people use Facebook once a month. You know, over half a million people use Twitter. TikTok is, I, I forget what TikTok is at. TikTok's over half a million like, people? TikTok, it's like it's actually 666 million people is the current monthly active user stat. Uh, 1.6 billion people, I think, are using TikTok. You know, Facebook's suite of, of Instagram and Facebook combined are like over 5 billion people, but there's probably some overlap there. It's like 3 billion and 2 billion. And all these people are addicted to this shit, and it's all surveillance software. I mean, I, the, you want to talk about a PSYOP, monthly active users. It's like there's no opiate problem. There's no such thing as opiate addicts. They're just monthly active users. Fucking insane. I'm trying to think of like iOS. What is the what was the latest thing that iOS said? Like this the release was like this app once yeah, they have to ask you if the app can track you. 
wonder if there's something like that. Of course it would be abused, but then maybe people have um, a legal case to be brought forth if that is being abused. I'm not going to hold my breath for it, but. Um, I'm pretty maybe. sure that this shit just gets more and more dystopian and there's like 5% of us that opt out and I'm just going to focus my life on those 5%. No, I think people Otherwise, are Otherwise, you're driving yourself crazy because <laughs> this is going to get worse. Yeah. I mean, on the same tip, talking about X knitter, which we've used throughout the years here at RHR to, to produce tweets on the screen is shutting down because of changes to Twitter's guest accounts. I'm not calling it X. It's almost, it's almost impossible to use Twitter without an account. You have, like, if I... If you click a link and you're not signed in, all you get is <laughs> just that single tweet. You can't you can't click the profile, you can't see any replies, you can't see who liked it or retweets or anything. It's like completely fucking walled off. He just he left you that one tweet just so that it shows previews when you post it somewhere. So you can see like the little URL embed preview. But besides that, it's completely logged off if you don't make an account. Um you know, a lot of a lot of Bitcoin Twitter people don't like when I make equivalencies to TikTok. TikTok is actually way more open than than Twitter now. You can use you can use look through all of TikTok on their web app without signing in, um, and it's probably the last of the social medias that lets you do that. Um, For now, besides like Freedom Alternatives, like Noster, like if you go to Reddit without an account. They like completely screw you. First of all, you can't have a VPN. Otherwise, they just completely block it. So all these all these platforms are just getting more and more closed. And why are they doing that? It's because they want to protect their product. And what is their product? It's the users that are addicted to it. And they want to surveil you and they want you to create an account. And they're just going to keep going and pushing, pushing, pushing. And the frog's just going to keep boiling, boiling, boiling. Go touch grass, people. That's the other thing. You just you, whether it's Nostra or anything else, you can just go touch grass. Get more local. Don't need the internet. I deleted Twitter from my phone this week. Who gave you that idea? <laughs> my wife. She was like, "You gotta stop scrolling." I was like, "I know, I know." Grant was in the group chat. He can attest to it. No, no, it was my wife. You're my podcast wife. I was talking about you. Marty literally, I said I I get so much shit done not uh, scrolling Twitter every day. And uh, I don't have Twitter <laughs> on my phone. And uh, Marty immediately posted a video of him deleting Twitter. On his phone. Park, Parker texted me. He wanted to come in. Let me see if I can get his attention. He, he texted me. He said, do you need me... Uh, the national to Austin ratio in there is a little, <laughs> a little tilted right now. Get him in here. Oh, yeah. It, it definitely to... increased. It, it doesn't help with the 1031. <coughs> yeah. He's an advisor. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> it just increases the 1031 ratio. They're trying to team up on me. It's not a competition. Look, Matt, Matt completely changed. He, he had the opportunity to use a good mic. We wouldn't have Grant here. We're live from the 1031 offices. 
Our setup time. here is fucking fire. I, I can't hear you, but I can see you talking, Matt. You always have your green energy drink and bring in two people to always team up on Marty to have Nashville 2v1 of coconut water. Hey, you got my coffee cup in here now. What are we thinking, Barker? The bank runs will continue until morale improves? Until morale. We were talking about BTFP a little bit. Do you think it's a, a big thing that they're not continuing it? Um, can I? I don't know if I can hear them yet. <laughs> we're not talking. Can you hear us they're now? Not, they're not talking. Oh, okay. No, I can Guys, hear you now. Camera angle's fucking great. <laughs> yeah. Logan successfully got neither of you in the camera. This feels good. There we, there we go. go. There we go. There we go. Um, wait, what was your question? BTFP. Big deal that's not stopping. Will they continue it? Will they be forced to? Uh, you were mentioning what's the arbitrage trade? I'll give you my thoughts on it, but what I don't was... know, like to lend the Fed your treasuries at par give you cash at a low interest rate to be paid back in a year. The banks are taking that money and put it somewhere else, some other Fed facility at a higher interest rate mm. and banking those. I was thinking that the only people that would use that were people that were having bank runs actively ongoing because they needed something to plug the hole. Um, I could be wrong though. Um, that said, I don't think... I don't think the Fed can actually pull it off without uh, exacerbating the bank runs and without doing QE. So it's like something has to give. They can't end BTFP, let it run off. The most exposed banks were probably the ones using it. And if they were, the only way to pull it off would be to un in make the banks solvent again, which is to print money and to force up the assets of their credit instruments and increase liquidity. Well, it seems like Pal is white knuckling it toward the point at which he'll need to reverse rates. I mean, this week it's pretty hawkish. Yeah. I just don't see how they can reverse on that until there's a market collapse. They have to have a visceral market reaction to say, well, I know there's still inflation. I know this printing of money is going to cause inflation, but the financial market was a clap was collapsing. So maybe they're so white knuckling it. Day, right. Like that's the move. It, 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 yeah. It's the, it's the save the day, but also like you all see why we have to do this. Right. Yeah, they have plausible deniability. Yeah. And absent that, the political disaster that is, wait, what do you mean you're printing money when inflation is still, you know, when everything still costs 50% more than it did three years ago, that's not politically palatable in a election year. Right. So what they might be doing is willing to run it off of the train tracks, roll off, say we're rolling off BTFB, it causes fucking chaos. And then that's their justification to quickly come back in and print a lot more money to replace whatever runs off with BTFB. Maybe that's the um, explanation. Or maybe they've gotten the, you know, nudge from Treasury and the, the White House saying, like, hey, we really need you to print money because. Um, it's an election year. It's an election year. Yeah. And the people who vote are the people that are getting laid off right now, and that's worse than inflation. Yeah, there's, as we were mentioning earlier, there's this dislocation between the perception 
of the strength of the economy and the actual underlying real economy layoffs tens of thousands yeah i think anybody who's living in the real economy that's not a billionaire or several hundred millionaires is feeling it you know even anybody the run a company even millionaires oh yeah okay. a million doesn't go a long way these days how many bitcoin does that get you not a lot 30 20 it's like 25 25 split down the middle but I'm just saying that, like, yeah, because people who are, quote, millionaires, like, they don't have a million dollars sitting around, yeah. you know? Inflation is catching up to everyone. Every business is getting squeezed because financing conditions are obviously significantly tighter. Interest rates, it's, you know, 7%. You're in the real estate business. What do you think's happened to your business? Cratered. And then so many things. And then if you're trying to sell your house, you're – perception of your net worth is significantly lower because house prices are coming down, you know? So I just, I, I think that the real uh, people who anybody in the real economy is feeling t significantly tighter today than two years ago and not just tighter, but like tight is, is my, my sense of it. So, yeah, I was looking for data on mortgage originations. It's pretty insane. How, um, how drastically it's fallen. Yeah. I mean, you go from zero interest rates to above five. What else could possibly happen other than a real estate? You know, it's, it's not just like a collapse. It's that the real estate is markets cratering in terms of activity and it depends on. Because you know, it's not just that 5% base rate, right? Like you got to think about like what actual mortgage rates are. Right. They're north of 7%. Yeah. 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 Matt, putting your uh, real estate hat on. What do you think people, particularly that own commercial, residential real estate, are feeling right now? Look, when liquidity is tight, you know, our, uh, real estate's going to be repriced in Bitcoin, and uh, anyone who's holding large amounts of real estate are going to have a bad time during Bitcoinization. Um, I, there's there's been a massive uh, flight to real estate as an investment. Right, because the money is shit, and money was cheap, and you could borrow money, and you could just pour it into real estate, and prices were at all time highs. In a lot of places, they continue to be at all time highs, um, but real estate always slows down, uh, and like it doesn't correct super quick. Uh, liquidity just kind of dries up, and then you start to see like a real bust, right? Or or in the reverse, in the reverse, it like kind of prices up real quick, and then on the downside. People wait, you know, they get underwater and they're trying to sell for 14 months or 16 months. Once you get into Bitcoin, you start to realize like what a shit coin, all this other shit is because you can sell Bitcoin instantly if you wanted to. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, like uh, I'm virtually all Bitcoin, right? And Parker's recently get on zero. Yeah. I mean, I'm not hundred percent on zero, but I'm getting to the point where like 99 point whatever and like your liquid net worth is in Bitcoin. This is the way. Yeah. Yeah. And yesterday I found out I need a new transmission in my car and I got need to get some other stuff done. It costs $10,000. And I'm like, okay, well, um, I could in theory, in theory, just, you know, stomach this, but I'm basically b below my minimum cash balance. And I've got the invoice and I sold that amount of Bitcoin just to pay for it. You know, I'm not selling Bitcoin to get more dollars, but like, you know, I'm either finding things I can pay for in Bitcoin or 
just living functionally like I'm on zero, but with one extra step. Yeah. yeah, But you can't do that with anything else. You can't do that with stocks, you know, like next day, have the Bitcoin show up or I mean the dollars and then fund it to like buy the real good or service that people that were pushed out of the dollar into things like both equities and real estate, like, um, Bitcoin is something fundamentally different than that because of its liquidity, but also because of its ability to be settled so quickly, which is, which are two different aspects of it. So, um, I do think like, I agree, I do agree with Matt. People are in these illiquid assets. The first instinct is to hold on and not be forced to sell, but then you start to get blood out on the table and you have to. And then when you figure out if somebody needed to sell a piece of real estate tomorrow to fund an expense, and typically it's, it's say fund a bank loan or something. If you actually had to sell a piece of real estate tomorrow, <coughs> whatever you think the value of it is, it's at least 50% less than that. And that's not the case with Bitcoin. And even so you're not gonna be able to sell it tomorrow. I'm saying, but if you had to sell it tomorrow, it, you yeah, would have to take to you'd have to yeah. take a 50% discount or more yeah I mean the one play devil's advocate but it's not even a good devil's advocate but the one thing is like buying stocks on cash app you can have those liquid but only during market hours like, only during market yeah. hours and the settlement of them typically does take longer now I don't know how cash app works because you're doing fractional shares so in that case you're not really owning stocks yeah they're in their name probably and whatever but the settlement of a normal stock if it was a fund that actually held stock in its name and you needed to transfer the settlement of stock is typically t plus one or two but typically t plus two and then you're going to get your dollars yeah so yeah blue in your brokerage stock. in your brokerage account that you then need to wire to your bank account yeah. Blue 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 chip stocks are probably like the closest to it, right? Like if you're like owning like Apple stock or something, like it's liquid, it's saleable. Like barring like a complete disaster, you you're able to you know spend that when you need to for the most part. Bitcoin's just superior asset in a yeah, lot of other ways. But yes, but real so, estate is like illiquid as fuck. Even in good times, it can take you. You know, to get the right price, it could take you eight months, nine months, and then you got to close. It's going to take you a while to close, even during good times. Yeah. Yeah. And so many people did get forced into real estate because it's physical. It's a hard asset. Like it holds, it stores value over time because the Fed has been manipulating interest rates for 40 years. So it has been true, but it can't continue they can't continue to manipulate now that Bitcoin exists and that Bitcoin is always there as the opportunity cost. Yeah. I mean, the scary thing is that, um, like whatever commercial real estate is mostly, you know, something that wealthier people play with to store their value. Um, but the, the real concern is is residential real estate has become like the main savings mechanism for the overwhelming majority of Americans. Like if you take Americans' net worth, um, you know, most of them like if they're a homeowner, like eighty percent of their net worth is in is home is home equity, um, and that's completely illiquid, and it's at the whims of the Fed, and it's 
priced in Bitcoin, it's a horrible fucking asset. So like that's going to be painful for a lot of people. And the Fed's very conscious of it. The Fed, they, what do they, they call it? Um, like it's the rock, the like, wealth effect or the wealth effect is one thing, but they call it like the bedrock, of the American economy, the housing market. But a big part of it is because of the wealth effect. If people think that their house is worth more, they go out and spend money. It's like a safety. Because net. to your point, Matt, it's, for most people, it's the large, it's the largest investment that they have. Yeah. And so their association with their, even if they're not immediately wanting to go sell their house, it still affects their economic calculus because if they needed to, and they thought that their house was worth 50% more than it, than it actually is or was when interest rates weren't 7%, then they still feel good. But now that they're feeling tight, you know, job security wise, tight interest rates higher, the, that is something that the Fed pays very close attention to. So even if, you know, just on the origination side, things have, have collapsed. If people's, you know, spending behavior has changed because their perception of what their home is worth, which probably is happening. I'm still just out here in the world, you know, renting because I don't want to sell a bunch of Bitcoin to buy a house that costs way too much money. Yeah, and even and it's though it's only worth it if you get land. Yeah, and even though they may yeah. be hyper cognizant of it and cautious around it, like they can't control any of this at the end of the day. And like this chart that I just put up here, this is <laughs> this is what happened to the IOR rate um when they pulled btfp so like these moves that they make just completely jolt the markets so this looks not as exaggerated as repo spasm in september 2019 but there's like a pure dislocation yeah. from the normative trend that was happening leading up to the rugging of btfp and these moves had material effects on people that made plans years ago so the spontaneous moves that the fed makes have profound ramifications throughout the markets. Yeah. I would just add, before we move on to the next item on the list, we're obviously, the three of us are all Americans. Um, in America, we have one of the largest welfare programs in the world, which is fixed rate mortgages backed by the government. Uh, in many parts of the world, in most parts of the world, uh, most people, their their homes are on adjustable rate mortgages, and they've watched uh, their mortgage payments go up 4x over the last year, uh, which is absolutely fucking brutal. Uh, but Wait, can we pull this up? This is just a funny, no, this isn't funny, it's kind of scary, but Logan, can we pull up the financial statement for Fannie Mae? Is this what you were talking, like, basically yeah, like, government-backed? When, when you buy a house so, in America... They give you the fixed rate mortgage, even though we're in a heavy inflation environment and the rate is less than inflation than real inflation, that would never happen in a free market. But they do it because the government then through Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac or whatever, uh, buys the mortgage right out from the bank. Like if, imagine, imagine you're like an actual free market bank and you're giving someone a 30 year fixed rate loan going into a heavy inflation period. That'd be fucking idiotic. Like, no one should do that. That bank's going to go out of business. But uh, the U.S. government backs all this shit uh, because they know that people in homes are happier voters and they won't revolt. Yeah, so pull up. It's it's Fannie Mae. I think if you go to sec.gov, it's like FNM. I got, it's Fannie I got it. Mae and Freddie Mac, right? Those are the two. 
Okay. What, what part so, of the balance sheet? Do so you go to? Just, we'll just pull up the like if you can scroll down to the balance sheet because what I want to show is wait, wait, go up and click sixty three in the index. There you go. Okay, so look at this where you can see. See, okay, they got total liabilities of four point three trillion. I believe is is how I should read that, and cash of forty eight billion. It yeah, so one percent reserve ratio there. You know, effectively, because they they basically hold the assets right, which are mortgages, but then they themselves have liabilities that they've issued to basically fund those. So one way to look at Fannie Mae's leverage is one, just recognizing that they hold near, you know, just over 4 trillion of mortgages, but they, they have 4.3 trillion of liabilities on only 48 billion of cash. And that if their assets start to, um, non-perform because interest rates are going up. This is the most leveraged 101 monkey business thing and it's government sponsored. And 2008, it was part of the bailout in 2008 or Freddie yeah. Mac was. This is the thing that's going to have to chronically be bailed out. 4.3 trillion of liabilities to 48 billion of cash when you're lending against real estate in what Matt was just describing, functionally fixed, fixed rate assets that um, or at least a large component of them in a in a highly inflationary environment. So you know, a, a rate that's you know failing to keep up with inflation. Crushing Ponzi, <laughs> yeah, quite literally. And like th this couldn't exist. This business, Fannie Mae, you know. And I remember back in my time when I was at Hayman, they were talking about restructuring this, changing different dynamics about it, and there were a bunch of hedge funds lining up to help them out invest in it because they thought there was an arbitrage and it's clearly failing to see the forest for the trees. You know, like why would anybody only, only somebody would invest in that because they knew there was government bailouts happening. But if you're investing with that mentality of like, I'm going to invest in this because I know that I'm going to get bailed out. You should just be buying Bitcoin because it's the same trade, but you can do it without counterparty risk. You know, like, and, and so many people do invest like that, buying treasury because they think that the Fed's going to come in. It's like, why would you ever do that? Just buy Bitcoin. Yeah. That's the other interesting thing, not on the Fed side, but the treasury side. They've been really rolling over 10-year treasuries in the shorter duration notes, I think, in an attempt to wait for Jerome Powell to lower rates. But that's having material debt on our debt issuance. We have to issue insane amounts. Of, of debt in a short period of time um, with these shorter durations. You go from 10 year to three months, six months, one year, you're rolling that over much more consistently, which means you need bigger auctions, which means you need more demand. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why they opened up the, uh, the treasury buyback window this year. Um, I think Yellen probably had this plan in place for a couple of years and foreseeing the gravity and the size of the auctions they were going to have to, they are going to have to. But uh, what's the buyback program? I didn't, I wasn't. It has been uh, instituted since 2001, but the treasury essentially has a window where they can buy tre treasuries directly from, from the market to basically bolster demand for their auctions. It's pretty insane. Um, 
Boos. Mad Eddie Burger today. He's very lethargic. Let's rip it. Top four boost from Rabbit Hole Recap 269. Escape from Barry's Toxic Island. Ah, such a good name. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Do you want to talk about our fire drill yesterday? We didn't leave. We didn't leave. You guys ever had fire drills at the at the park? No. The park the park was built after 1910. Um, you know, we control our real estate at the park. Yes. This isn't loading. Let me try and pull it up on my browser. Up oh, there it is. Also, it's like it's two stories. Who needs a fire drill for a two story building? <laughs> We're on the second floor. It was. But how many stories it, are you guys? You're like a. Twenty-five, at the time it was built the funny story is at the time it was engineered it was going to be the the tallest building then the guy caddy corner put one extra story and so the guy building this building still wanted the tallest building so mid construction in 1910 (laughs) 11 he stopped constructing the seventh floor which was going to be the roof to build reinforcements so that it could be nine floors and seven floors like a small museum yeah top four boost bitcoin dot rocks back with a 210,000 sat boost another great rip means another chance to show americans they can vote for better money put one of our free stickers or flyers in public and you could win a million sats in our first bitcoin awareness contest 21 people will win 1 million sats each full details at vote for better dot money slash contest thank you bitcoin rocks at Free Market Kids, boosted 200,000 sats. 2024 Having Collector's Edition of Hoddle Up is here. This is an ultra-low time preference version of the game Odell called the best Bitcoin game ever on C- Citadel Dispatch 84. Metal pieces and rubber playmat give it an almost casino feel. RHR Freaks get 15% off now through the having when they use RHR Freaks at www. So RHR Freaks promo code at www.freemarketkids.com. P.S. Mega gratitude to Matt and Marty from Tolly and Scott. Would love to set up a family game night sometime. Cheers. Happy hodling. I like family game night. It's a good game. At Michael Madaliff, boosted 100,000 sats. Tuesday, February 20th. Join the Milwaukee Bitcoin meetup for a Socratic seminar at Transfer Pizzeria Cafe. The meetup convenes every month, drawing those intrigued by the possibilities of Bitcoin. Decentralized peer-to-peer electric electronic cash system. Meet up over drinks as we discuss the current landscape and future trajectory of digital payments, online communities, and personal liberties. All curious, innovative thinkers are welcome. Beware of scammers and forks. There is no second best. MKE Meetup. It's in Milwaukee. Sure. February 20th. Got plenty of time to plan for that. 19 days. At Flot Sam Jet Sam. 100,000 sats. Thanks for all you do. Stay humble. Stack sats. No satellites. Thank you. Great advice. Do you guys track cumulative boosts? Like you who, see it in my wallet. Is that by individuals? No, I'm just like over time, who's boost like your greatest boosters? No, we don't. We should track it. I think we could see it if we wanted to. Let's see. Marty's just going to be like staring into his phone for the next ten minutes and not find it. I'm not going to find it. I was just curious. Fountain product. It'd be cool to have all time. 
It'd be a cool stat. Occasional, you know, maybe year end. RHR. Executive producers. Like it's no a, guys are fun. Let's it makes it easy to do if it's just one person receiving Bitcoin. Um, so like I do it for Sill Dispatch. There's actually like a leaderboard at silldispatch.com slash donate. Um, that's cumulative. Yeah. So like every time you use zap or boost or whatever, it adds to the total. But with RHR, it's split between me, Marty, Logan, OpenSats. Um, and so Geyser doesn't like really work that way. Got it. Yeah. Still very early. We appreciate all the sats freaks. Um, it just means a lot. It, it means it means more. It means more from the heart than it does financially. Speaking of geysers, on our software update list, I'm going to blow through this because I got to hop on a call in Grant six minutes. Back. Mutiny Wallet version 0.5.7 has been released with PayJoin support and NWC improvements. PayJoin pay support is very cool to see. You Shout have a hard to- stop in six minutes. I can go. I can. I'll text the guy. Uh, Breeze, Breeze SDK. You're the one who spent 20 minutes getting your setup ready. Okay, I don't want to hear it. Breeze SDK core. We we spent like an hour and a half talking about fiat bullshit, and we find out there's a hard stop once we start talking about Bitcoin. We talked about Bitcoin quite a bit. Breeze SDK core version 0.2.14 has been released. Seed Hammer version 1.2.0 has been released with Seed First UI and Grave Wallet titles and more. Bolt's web app version 1.3.0 and backend version 3.4.0 has been released with taproot swaps. Zeus version 0.8.1 has been released with the Noster contact import, uh, standalone point of sale, and more. PTC pay server version 1.12.4 has been released with bug fixes and improvements. PTC pay server version 1.12.5 was released shortly after 1.12.4. Uh, the fix the store. The store is using Kraken as a price store. It's fully noted version Bitcoin Core version 1.0.5 and Tor Connect version 1.0.0 has been released. Blue Wallet version 6.5.0 has been released with crash detection on watchOS app and fixes. Geyser version 0.6.7 has been released with new reward features. Ronin UI version 2.4.1 has been released with UX enhancements. Snort. It's a Noster update section of the show. Pay attention, Parker. Let's fall asleep there for a second, guys. Snort version 0.2.0 has been released. Worker relay in the browser. Damas version 1.7.2 has been released with new full text search engine and other improvements. And also Damas introduces purple, which is a premium tier for project supporters. I've seen a bunch of people. Will Cole being one of them. You wanted to because you're not on Noster. Um, supporting Domus Purple. So if you want to support the Domus Project, you can do so by becoming a paid member on Domus now. Unleash.chat. What were you going to say? No, I just love this move. Um, I think both Bitcoin and Noster give open source projects whole new ways to monetize that were impossible before. Um, I think people just need to be a little creative about them and see what works. Um, So it's, it's great to see Domus, you know, stepping their foot in this ring and up until this point they their revenue stream is just donations um so now they're actually have a product that they're selling um and i'm a proud supporter uh, i did the i did the yearly membership 
Um, was that 1.5 million sets or 150,000 no, 150, sets? Number 38. Let's fucking 38. go. There we go. Unleashed chat version 0.1.10 has been released with import Git repositories. That is the AI product brought to you by MVK. Graphene OS version 2024-01-2600 has been released with security enhancements and eSIM improvements. This was a big win because um, personally a big fan of silent.link, which is a way to get an eSIM by just paying Bitcoin and not giving any personal information. Uh, it's not only uh, better for your privacy because you're not giving any personal information. It's actually a just reliable and cheap competitive service in terms of actually paying for airtime. And you can pay directly with Bitcoin if you're hundred percent in Bitcoin uh, and you need to spend Bitcoin anyway. Um, with eSIMs on graphene up until this point, you had to like hit Google services, uh, which was obviously not ideal. And so now you don't have to hit Google services uh, to do the eSIM, but it also works with iPhones. It works with iPhones incredibly easy. You just simply scan a QR code. Um, and it loads it onto the iPhone and then you have uh, data. That is good. That is great. Shout out to everybody working on these projects. Uh, if you're interested in watching the live streams, both day one and day two of the Adopting Bitcoin Cape Town 2024 conference, we're going to have those in the show notes. And then shout out to Lisa, Base58. They shipped their crypto plus digital signatures course for Bitcoin developers on Udemy. I saw Lisa tweeting about this earlier this week. And, Is that how uh, you pronounce it? Udemy? Yeah, it's Udemy. Is that right? Nobody knows. I think it's Udemy. Udemy. But uh, Lisa is one of the best educators in uh, the world when it comes to Bitcoin. Yeah, she got a. She, I saw that she tweeted out that she got a thousand people to sign, like yeah. a thousand people signed up well, for it in the first twenty four hours. And she Did shared you, a map of where the signups are coming from. It's global. It's pretty cool. Oh, there it is. To be to be fair, not trying to be a dick. About to be a dick. Uh, she had a promotion where it was free to sign up, and she got a thousand signups on the free. But even the paid, I was very competitive. It's like one hundred and fifty dollars or something now that it's in paid. Still, the fact that there's that many people out there that want to. Learn about yeah, the technical side of. I got a spicy, spicy thing while we're on the topic of Lisa. Sure. Will and I were debating Bolt 12. Will, Cole, because of what the work you guys are doing at ZapRite, obviously integrating Lightning into your product suites. We were talking about Bolt 12 coming from Unchained, where he's highly focused on multi sig and on chain security, is really catching up with the debate in the lightning world and we were talking about bolt 12 and why it hasn't been implemented more broadly. And it was when we were walking to meet you for dinner at Perry's and we ran into Lisa on the street as we're discussing bolt 12. And I was like, Oh, let's just stop and talk to Lisa about this. It's the perfect that, those are the things that happen in Austin. <laughs> you know, speaking of Lisa, I was sitting there the other day and like getting in my car and then there walks Lisa, you know, she walked right by and I was like, uh, you know, I, I didn't holler out at her cause I didn't, you know, but I was like, oh, I, there's Lisa. I caught her off guard. She was walking her dogs. I was Lisa. Yeah. She was walking her dogs. I was like, Lisa, we're, uh, we're having a bolt 12 discussion here. We need your input. Austin's <laughs> wonderful. Lisa could be walking down the street. Someone just harasses her about bolt 12 and she walks down the block. Homeless person comes you, you out You do with it too much. She's going to leave. <laughs> We had a great engaging conversation. Bolt 12. Yeah, we're, we are renewing those discussions for serious. Just 
<laughs> it was something I was less knowledgeable about. Um, the next time I see her randomly on the street, I will similarly do that. But just more you know, curious from our side in terms of um, not necessarily wanting to be the entity to help drive standards, but we want more connections on our platform so that when Bitcoiners that are ready to accept Bitcoin as payment sign up, they don't have to go sign up for something else that we can meet them where they're already at. And having standard ways to um, pay people's accounts in light, you know, with Lightning or over without the Lightning an network, invoice, without the static invoice, yeah, with the static invoice, and and just being able, it'll be more efficient on our side to have everyone having, you know, similar implementations basically, and trying to understand this debate between LNURL and Bolt Twelve, and why haven't we already shifted over? Because there's a lot of things that seem to make sense to me on the surface but just trying to get in and figure out what the different voices are in the community as to why we're already, we're not already there and what it would take to get there. Yeah. The spicy thing is Lisa wants us to talk about it more. We need to have some community pressure to push bolt 12. Bolt 12 is great. Lisa's a fucking legend. Consider signing up and paying for her course. Um, because it takes a lot of hard work on her front. And, uh, the main reason we haven't seen bolt 12 is because lightning labs doesn't want bolt 12. And, uh, they dominate the network. Yeah, they have the network effect. It's the interesting but thing. But Lisa keeps fighting the good fight on it, so props to her. It was hilarious. We were, like, talking. I'm, like, trying to explain Bolt 12 and what's holding it up. I was, like, I'm pretty sure it's Lightning Labs. And then, like, Lisa pops. I'm, like, she's probably the best person to talk to about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but even but even from their standpoint of, like, trying to understand what their issues are and then understanding, hey, you know, fresh set of eyes for me, does it make sense that – one company, you know, regardless of whether it's Bolt 12, like why, you know, overall from a protocol standpoint, one company's design preferences, or why a bunch of companies would want one company's design preferences to be a blocker on anything, right? It's not that with Core or anything else. So it's not a a criticism of Lightning Labs either. It's just more like, you know, I haven't had my eyes closely on this. Now it's starting to become because it's more directly impacting us at ZapRite and you know, wanting to have, hear a broad set of perspectives on it, but then also just thinking from a protocol level of how that. I think it's much messier with Lightning because you have these competing implementations where Core dominates. Obviously, there's other Bitcoin implementations at the protocol level, but Core's got 99%. Seems like there's a lot of reasons to, you know, renew the discussion around Bolt 12, though, from my initial review, just in terms of um, how it works, security, privacy, um, benefits to standards. Part of the reason I, I brought it up, let's start the discussion again. I see people in the chat saying I'm tired of this discussion, but it really hasn't been brought up in, in quite some time. It's been, okay. <laughs> But I'm glad I'm glad Parker's fighting for it now. I guess I'm going to. I'm not out. fighting for it. I'm just saying it's, it's <laughs> based on everything that I've seen. It should it be should be something that's advanced and discussed. Agreed. I will say uh, props to the async team uh, and Phoenix Wallet because uh, their strategy of simply shipping their own implementation and building it for their specific mobile wallet uh, has been the most effective task tactic for getting new uh, upgrades and capabilities to Lightning. There's a reason why they're the only wallet that is splicing in it right now. 
and it's because they just built it into their implementation and they said, fuck it, whatever. But something like Bolt 12, the problem with Bolt 12 is that you need payment compatibility across nodes, and LND is like 90% of nodes. Yeah. There's some more important nodes than others, though, and in terms of payers and receivers that if certain companies want, you know, I guess that's what I'm trying to understand. If certain companies wanted it, I feel like pressure could be exerted. To get like right it. now you can make both. I believe you can make both 12 payments between two core lightning nodes. Yes. Yes. There's like dozens of people that can do that. <laughs> okay. Is river running core lightning? They're running LND. They're running LND, I think. Yeah. But but imagine if Strike, River, and Cash App all decided to run a separate they instance. Could, they should like all meet in New York. They could come up with some kind of New York agreement. No, I'm not <laughs> saying meet in New York. I'm just saying run a, run an alternate, you know, sandbox. See how see see if you have more progress with L and D of getting uh getting Bolt twelve activated. Yeah. We'll see. We're not going to solve the Bolt 12 problem in this particular episode. I'm surprised someone that I haven't had heard this come up in two years. That's what I was just saying. That's like, ah, oh, we've been talking we've about it for too long. All, yeah. I mean, look, I'm glad. I'm glad. Like I said, you have the torch, Parker. When's the last yours. time you talked about it? It's been a while on this show. It's been beat into fucking death. It's, I, I just, you know. Matt capitulated long ago. He's not. Yeah, it's been he a while. Want to die on this he's cell. tired. He's he tired. looks he looks ragged, and tired. The Bolt Twelve Fours were, were tiresome. Um, anything else we should wrap it up on? We talked about the the EIA mining registry form. Yeah, maybe ten thirty one should organize a letter. That's what we. What you guys have about? We'll definitely we'll definitely put put a strongly worded letter together. That then Bitcoin miners can sign their name to. Yeah, do you think do you think any of the public miners will stand up against this, or do you think they'll capitulate? I don't know if all of them will comply. I don't imagine anybody will stick their neck out and challenge it. It's weak. It's weak. I mean, look, I think it's it's important to um, the the reason these legal responses are really important is because. Ultimately, a lot of this stuff is going to be fought in court and you want to have, you know, a record to cite. Um, but I, I think the assumption should be that governments are going to keep trying to take as much as they can take. Um, and uh, that's that's the reality of the situation. You have two choices. You can either fight or not fight. And, and people should fight. You should fight. I think so as well. When 1031 and Samurai organized the letter for... Uh, FinCEN and then yeah. circulated it to Bitcoin companies obviously you know, obviously but that isn't coin joins aren't something that directly impact us even if they direct if they impact us on a derivative way of potentially somebody you know paying from or something historically coming from but not on a direct basis but at the same time while that's true you look at it and say well this is blatantly and clearly an overreach. And even if it doesn't directly benefit me, I shouldn't wait to the thing that yeah. directly benefit, you know, impacts for, me for, to, to 
you know, sign on to support other companies that are more directly impacted. And I think that's the same thing with Bitcoin miners that they have to recognize that there's a lot that might fly more under the radar or maybe they're public companies that don't actually want to put their, you know, neck out and fight this one. But if they don't, the if they don't fight earlier, the fight's going to be worse later. Yeah. Basically. No, that's why I'm extremely proud about what we did last week with the letter of defense end, because you completely avoid the situation of first they came for samurai and other coin joint technologies. That's a, mis- said, that's a misconception though, because the FinCEN rules are so vague that just using a new address falls under suspicious activity. So it was way broader than just coin joint, but I no, agree no, with it, it was, but even the language around the single use address was, uh, to me, it was vague enough to suggest that it might wrap in normal best practices, but it was also ambiguous enough where they might say, well, we didn't mean it to include that. Yeah, it's classic regulatory overreach. You do vague, so then you can selectively enforce whenever you want. Yeah. Yeah. But it was so vague and broad that it it was, you know, a frog boiling in the pot situation where you actually were able to notice because it was too broad. And you're like, oh, wait, hold on. Are we in the pot? And is it starting to boil? I will say on the registry side, like what they're trying to do to miners, they successfully did to exchanges and custodians starting in 2016. And they all just fucking complied. Um, and all their users are KYC'd and where they're headquartered is, is known and reported to the government and all their transactions are reported. Like, yeah, well, we could argue the bank secrecy act is unconstitutional and it probably it is. is. Unconstitutional. It is. But the constitution's it, a shit coin, unfortunately. Right. But <laughs> I, 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 well, no, the constitution, not a shit coin. Uh, <laughs> our, it's just not respected. Our political will to, you know, in, make sure that it's enforced. Trying to do that in Texas right yeah, now. Yeah, we are. Um, you got to defend. But my, my defend point is, rights. you can't. No one gets granted rights. That's that's an oxymoron. Like, yeah, but you, but rights the, are not given; they're taken. Bitcoin exchanges are very, in my view, is at least based on the letter of the law, financial institutions, and so maybe there was a time early in Bitcoin where it was unclear that Bitcoin was money, but then once it was became more clear, more obvious to people that okay you're a financial institution these are you shouldn't put more regulations on other on bitcoin financial institutions than exist on traditional financial institutions but they've never done this to any other sources of power demand right i don't think or maybe they i mean i don't believe they have but they haven't gone and said hey if you're a farming manufacturing business we need to know how much power you're consuming and what the geolocation is of all of it or to data centers. Yeah. You know, so I think, that, I think that the connection to the exchanges is different than Bitcoin miners, just given the nature of their business. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Nuance here. That's with everything in Bitcoin. And I think that the instinct of Bitcoin miners would be to not rock the boat, especially the public ones, because maybe they then become in the crosshairs of a regulatory institution that wants to exert power or, you know, just make a, make a case out of them. But I think that's probably why if they collectively came together, sent 
a note explaining why this is an overreach, whatever that Chevron uh, deference case. Deference case. It's not done yet, but but it's but they won an appeal, right? So it isn't all the way to the Supreme Court, but as the precedent currently exists, there is something to point to to say, yeah, federal regulatory bodies can't just make up law. Like when they say you have to comply with this, that's the the law. There's enough. I'm not a lawyer here, but there's enough grounds to, if they all came together to push back and to make a legal case for that. And my view is if they don't, this is that they give an inch and then they're going to take a mile from you. Yeah. So if you're out there in the mining industry, public miners, especially I made the case earlier, potentially have a fiduciary duty to preserve shareholder capital by standing up against this. Cause the only other country to do this uh, in the world to date is Venezuela. And they did this in an attempt to identify miners and then confiscate them. If that's the playbook that's been played by others as a publicly traded company looking to preserve shareholder value, you can make the argument you have a fiduciary duty to prevent this, to prevent your operation from being nationalized at some point in the future. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts, gentlemen? Stamble stack sets. Matt's got to lay off the burgers. He's lethargic. He's lethargic. His energy is low. He does not want to debate Bolt 12. Believe me, I, Dude, I had to deal we, with it. I had to deal with it for like an hour we, before we you got in here. Bolt 12 during the first Bitcoin takeover. I had Lisa up there, Rockstar, someone else. That's right. We we had, you know, it was Miles. What year was that? It was that Miles. Was three years ago. Two years ago. Two years ago. Miles, Lisa, and Rockstar. No, that was that was twenty one. Might have been Macarallo. No, no, I mean, it was the, those three. I think it was Miles because he was representing uh, Cash LBK. App. Yeah, yeah. That was. Did 21. you go to that Austin? Did you go to that Austin based burger place down the street from the park called uh, that, was Hot Mar- that was that was March twenty twenty one. Yeah, we've only yeah. done two so takeovers. Closer to three years than two no, years. no, no. That was March twenty two. Twenty two. Oh, okay. So it's, so it's been two, two years, years since uh, Bolt Twelve was discussed in my at, at like in your house. Well, but we but hadn't, I hadn't heard of it since then. A year and a half before then, hadn't heard of it since then until recently. What's the problem is like, and I'm not trying to, you know, as as someone who's not a developer myself, like I hate like critiquing this stuff um because like the response is always like oh just ship it so that's why like i focus on supporting developers and just trying to help them wherever i can um but like the problem with lightning development is it's been very focused on being this interoperable payment protocol for custodians and it's it's been very good at that like to send between two custodians it works incredibly well uh if you're a custodian then of course you can run um an additional web server or use your existing web server to serve LN URL requests and use lightning addresses. Um, but there's been less work in terms of people using lightning in a freedom oriented way without a custodian holding their own keys in a sovereign way. And that's why I'm shouting out async because there are some trade-offs in how they do things. And they're very explicit about the trade-offs. You know, you don't have privacy when you're using Phoenix wallet. Um, but their goal is very implicit, like explicit. Like their goal is 
we want people to be using it themselves without a custodian. And there's just a major disconnect there between that and like the greater lightning protocol ecosystem. And it's just frustrating. It's incredibly as, as, as like a user and educator, someone who's trying to support developers, someone who's trying to fund Bitcoin projects, both monetized projects through 1031 and open source projects through no strings attached grants at, at OpenSats. It's just incredibly frustrating. Um, but progress is being made just very slowly, but I'm glad it's uh, on your mind now. That sounds like we need another bolt 12 discussion at the, the takeover this year. Force force the issue on everybody. Maybe we'll get um, someone from Spiral to come. Yeah, we we have Jeff in town. Or we could maybe we don't do it for the takeover. Maybe we do it uh, our second oh debate, debate series. Debate Let's series. go! All right, second debate series. There we get we Matt to come down and moderate it. He looks so excited. No, we get Parker can moderate it. Yeah, Tur's 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 a great moderator. We'll get Tur back. Yeah, he is a great moderator. He, he forcibly removed somebody last last debate, or he threatened to. <laughs> I'm kidding. We're like um, an audience member or Yeah, it was it was, it was very a, disruptive. He was very polite was though. It was it was a well executed professional as, as if he had done this a thousand times. It was it was that a doesn't threaten me at all if, with her. Excuse me if you if you if you don't shut up, I'm gonna forcibly remove you. He did not say that, but I'm gonna have to ask you to leave. <laughs> is I think what he said. Yeah. Well if you, if you can't follow the debate rules I'm going to have to ask you to leave. Yeah. Uh, so we'll do that debate. Matt will de- moderate alongside. I say, Tur. I say Lisa versus Lalu. Ooh. I like this. Okay. The, uh, the debate has been not set yet. We need to get confirmation from the debaters, but the I would like to see that. Second of the Nakamoto series. Yes. Nakamoto Forum debate series. All right, we're going to go brainstorm on this. Gentlemen, enjoy Nashville. It's beautiful here in Austin. We're going to go enjoy our R-H-R, nights. The gang solves both 12. <laughs> Peace and love, freaks. Take care.